David, just when did you realize that you needed to forge a more authentic relationship with God? Well, first of all, before I bare my soul to the general public <laughs> and to everyone out there uh, on camera watching, uh, I'd like to thank you, Patrick, and Scott, and uh, Justin, Mike, and Nita Kilbasa. Thank you very much for allowing Jeannie and me, giving us this very humbling opportunity uh, to let you all know of times in our lives when we felt like we needed to walk closer to God and develop a more authentic relationship with Him. There are two moments in my life when I realized I did not have an authentic relationship with God. The first one occurred about 10 years ago. And I was struggling with my professional and personal life and trying to fight my uneasiness with some pretty bad decisions. One day, I was leaving a deer lease in between Brady, Texas, and Brownwood. I just finished a hunt with a good friend of mine from back home. I shut the gate, got my truck, was going down a dirt road, and I wanted to listen to some country music, some good old country music on an AM dial. Turned on the radio, and uh, as a lot of us know, on Sunday morning in Texas, in the middle of nowhere, you don't get a lot of country music, you get a lot of gospel, you get some Bible verses, and uh, the preacher, who I think was preaching from a church in a town with a population less than 100, uh, was talking about a poem that I had never heard of before, never heard of it before, it's called Footprints in the Sand, uh, and the poem is about an individual who's sitting with God and reviewing the life that they had. And sometimes there was one set of footprints and sometimes there were two. And at a period of time in this person's life, he looked at God and said, hey, what happened? What's, what's going on here? There's only one set of footprints. And, and during that time, I was, I was pretty low. And in fact, the words of the poem go like this. I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you most, you would leave me. But those words gave me comfort, but sadness as well, because I realized I was wandering alone without an authentic relationship with God. And without a relationship with Him, I was going to continue to go down the wrong path and probably find myself in a darker spot than I felt like I was in. At that moment, I came to an intersection. And when I stopped, the dust from that dirt road caught up to my truck and swallowed my truck completely. We've all been there. We know what that's like. But I couldn't help but think to myself that my truck at the time was my life. And all of that dust that had surrounded my truck could be the dust that was about to surround my life. I couldn't hide. It was inevitable. That dust represented the sadness, the bad decisions, uh, the despair, the hopelessness, everything that I felt. And I couldn't help but be overwhelmed at that moment. I couldn't hide. It was inevitable. I needed to change. And this was the beginning of my transformation. And just like the person in the poem, 
I ask myself, God, where are you? What was the next event, event, David, that made you realize that you needed a stronger relationship with God? The next thing that happened to me, I think, had a, more of an impact uh, on me and, and, and got me closer to giving more up to God. I was lonely and lost. Uh, I was wondering what had happened. I was 37 years old at the time, and I had accomplished another, a number of things personally and professionally. I'd worked at the White House or in the White House. I had at one point had the trust and confidence of the President and First Lady of the United States, flown on Air Force One around the world. I had an MBA, I had an undergraduate degree. You know, I, I didn't understand. As I was sitting in the parking lot uh, of a retail strip center in Houston on Westheimer, I, was, I didn't understand why I was broken spiritually. I didn't understand why I was so broken emotionally. And I still wasn't ready to commit myself to God. I still had too much of myself in my plan. And at that time, my dad, my dad called. And I picked up the phone and uh, I said, hey, Dad. He said, David, your mom and I are worried about you and we want you to come home. And that hit me in the gut harder than I've ever been hit in my gut before. Here was my earthly father calling me home. And in a way, it was my heavenly father calling me home as well. I was broken and I needed to be carried. But my ego persisted. I remember again asking, where are you, God? I pray, I go to church, and I'm not where I want to be. Well, that was the problem. The problem was there was too much I and me and my plan and not enough him. And again, the answer to that question of where were you, where are you, is in that poem that I had heard a couple of weeks earlier. The individual asks the question, where were you? And God says, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you, never ever during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. You know, God was carrying me, and I didn't realize it, because at that time in my life, again, it was all about me. <laughs> I was saying, hey, hey, God, you know, I'm going to play this game. I'm on the field. You sit on the sidelines and, and just watch. Well, he did. And he was not impressed. And I, I often like to remind myself when I get too far ahead of myself, uh, you know, David, you need to slow down. And, and, and if you want to tell God a joke, tell him your plan. So what happened next, David? How did you grow closer to God? I think things were getting better, but I didn't recognize it because, again, I was so, I was so numb. But, but now I was, I was more numb at just disappointment in myself. You know, I'd been around the world. I'd had a great education, and all that led me back 
all of those great things led me back at age 37 to my childhood bedroom. <laughs> I worked odd jobs just to make some money and, and not go completely off the deep end. Now I realize that as I sit here and say that I've hit a low point in my life, that that low point in my life pales in comparison to so many other situations that people find themselves in today and were in even when I was at my lowest point. But that defeated feeling of lack of desire to press on and giving up, I think I can share with anybody. However, that broken state allowed me to say, okay, God, take the wheel. And I remember what Mike Kielbasa said last year. You know what, God? I've done it my way. I'm going to give you a shot at this now. And my eyes began to open through a poem, through a phone call from my father and my mother, and then ultimately a phone call from a dear friend of mine in Houston, Logan Walters, who was offering me a job opportunity here in San Antonio. I heard God's call to move to San Antonio, come here and start over, get back on track. Trust me, I tried to talk myself out of it. I really did, because it's not what I wanted to do. And I remember when I was talking myself out of it, or trying to, what someone had said to me at some point in my life prior to that. He said, you know what? God gave you two eyes and two ears so that you could see more and hear more and he gave you one mouth <laughs> to reduce the noise and so that was the kick in the pants I needed I moved to San Antonio I was, I was listening to God uh, my relationship with him got closer I was doing fine professionally and then one day at church our good friends Lauren and Wade Vila decided to take it upon themselves to fix my personal life. <laughs> so they introduced me to my wonderful wife, Jeannie. And as I grew to know Jeannie, I realized God was opening my eyes to a per person, partner in life who shared my beliefs and values. For so long, I thought I knew the type of person that I wanted to marry. But my expectations were unreasonable and off-target spiritually. Is that correct, Patrick? Amen, brother. That's a whole other story. Yeah, and a long one. Yes, it is. And embarrassing, but anyway. God put Jeannie in my life because he knew I was awake to his presence and plan for me. I was sober enough spiritually to realize the gift he put in front of me and the changes he was making in me through a willingness on my part to stand down. Jeannie and I now have two beautiful children, and my foundation with God has never been more solid, but the best part of that is I'm now walking closer to God with my wonderful wife, Jeannie. And it has been a great journey with Jeannie, and it will continue to be a great journey with Jeannie. You know, it took me falling down and going through my own low point in life to wake up to the blessings of God and all of the wonderful things that he puts in, in front of us every single day. But so many times, and especially speaking for myself, we miss those because of our own self-interest.
morning. We want to thank, um, as David said, we want to thank the congregation for trusting us, Patrick and uh, the clergy for trusting us, and Mike and Nita for inviting us uh, to speak this morning. Uh, when David and I were introduced by Lauren and Wade Belock, um, I was at, uh, we had both come to a point in our um, personal and emotional life where I believe we had both surrendered to God to the idea that perhaps um, having our own family wasn't in God's plan, and that we had uh, his, our focus needed to be somewhere else where he needed us, and we were aunts, and uncle, aunt, and uncle, and godparents, and perhaps that was our role. So I had come to a bit of a detente with God on that part, but um, professionally, I was at a very low point when Lauren Wheelock called me and said she wanted to set me up with this young man from church, and I was so exhausted that I couldn't even fight it. And I trust Lauren implicitly, but I really didn't want to go to dinner. <laughs> but it, it went off, obviously, it went off very well, and it was a, a typical relationship. We had a lot of fun, and it was relatively drama-free, and it was wonderful. We had two, two wedding ceremonies. I've only been married once. <laughs> But what set it apart and led us to marriage was that we both knew we wanted and needed a more authentic relationship with God. David and I were lifelong Episcopalians, and we, uh, with David, God had given me a partner um, who was in it for the long haul. We were ready to start to live our faith. It wasn't just about pre-marriage counseling, a wedding, a couple of baptisms, and then sort of float away as other um, obligations and Saturday night ball games you know, make Sunday morning a little hard. But true surrender can often be very slow, and sometimes you fight the little things. <laughs> of all the things, David and I fought the name tags in the very beginning when we, were, when we were dating. We thought, we knew, that you just showed up to church, you got dressed, you showed up, you said all the prayers that you had memorized, and then you left and went to brunch. You didn't really talk to people, and nobody's going to really know your name. So we are now big supporters of the name tag, but it did take us a while. Our daughter Janie is almost two and she is storming through life and we call out to her, eat your vegetables, no chocolate pudding on the couch, don't walk off that cliff and she is just on her way and she is self-confident and it's like she can't even hear us. I considered having her hearing checked but it has occurred to me more than once that I have similar listening deficiencies with my God and our Heavenly Father, God in Heaven. In August of 2018, an event occurred that allowed us to appreciate a more authentic relationship, our authentic relationship with God, and an opportunity to work harder for a more authentic relationship. David was experiencing some vision problems, and after a trip to the emergency room, an ophthalmologist, and an MRI later, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor that was pushing down on his optical nerve and blinding him. The news was so shocking that I took a moment to think, how, how does one react to news like this? Uh, there's tears, and there's hysterics, and anger. But I was eight months pregnant at the time, and I couldn't impart that emotional trauma onto my unborn child. And then there's hiding under the co covers of the cataconic stupor until it's all over. But our son, Michael Edward, wasn't even two. He needed me for all the most basic basic life needs, and soon David would need my help too. So together, David and I chose 
and we remained calm. We trusted in God's plan and his outcome. Not our desired outcome, but whatever his outcome was going to be. A few days after the diagnosis, I was at a Bible study, um, the women's Bible study at Julianne Reeves' house, and we have a practice where we say our rose and our thorn, and the rose is the best part of the week, and the thorn is the thorniest part, and often they're the same thing. And that day I laid out my thorn, which you can imagine was the diagnosis, and the, the women of that Bible study, many of whom are members of this church, jumped in to help me bear that burden. And as I drove the less than half mile from Julianne and Dave's house to our home, somehow a casserole and a bottle of wine had made it to my house before I even got home. And I'm not <laughs> sure how they did that. And it didn't stop through August and the surgery, through November and the birth of our daughter and well into the new year. Our family and our friends and many acquaintances who we really didn't know well reached out and bore us up. Lauren and Wade, who God has for better or for worse for them, has given them us as their charge. <laughs> they got us married, they got us through the birth, and they got us through this, um, through this surgery. And we were, sometimes we felt like we didn't deserve all these blessings and all this, all this faith and God's warm and true embrace for every act done in his name. The week of the surgery, just a couple weeks after the diagnosis, I was unable to sleep. Baby Jane was doing a complicated yoga practice that involved her feet under my ribs. And I woke up and decided to go out and take a little time in our garden to pray because it was quiet. It was August, but it was 4.30 in the morning, so it was pretty pleasant. And I typically have conversational prayer with God. But I think my mind was still in so much shock, I didn't even know what to say. I didn't really know where to start. So I grabbed an old battered uh, Knights 28 version of the Book of Common Prayer that had belonged to my grandmother. And I thought that perhaps I could go through it and it would help me focus and guide my prayers, help me, help me get to talk to God. And I thought that I might pray some of the, the Psalms that are full of surrender and joy and trust in God's power. So I have, and, and I had and I have, a very vague concept of how the Book of Common Prayer works. And I know that you can find the prayer for any day by using a simple equation that involves Pentecost, the moon, March, and the day after, the day before last year's Easter. So I knew none of those variables. And I just started flipping through. And I found the forms of prayers to be used in families. And I read out loud in a whisper the prayers for those we love. For one about to undergo an operation. For trustfulness in God. And I sang very quietly the cradle hymn for my children. And I read these prayers multiple times. Looking for more, I glanced over the Holy Communion and my eyes stopped on those well-known words and the peace of God which passes all understanding. And I had a moment of understanding that God's peace defies everything. That that's what that is. I've heard those words hundreds and hundreds of times. And God's peace defies logic, worry, fear. It defies and it defeats all of those things. And in that moment, in the, my little garden, I heard God. And I understood with my soul that if my husband's upcoming surgery resulted in partial recovery, in disability, blindness, or even death, that I would not be angry with God. I, I would not be angry. I'd be 
thankful and joyful for the partnership that I had experienced with him. I would be thankful for experiencing birth and raising children with him. And that is not to say that I would not feel sadness and grief. And I, I have experienced loss, major loss in my life, and I knew what I might be in for, but I would not be angry. I would trust God and I would surrender to his plan. I surrendered more fully to God and allowed myself then to be enveloped in his peace. It made me calm. The following three mornings leading up to David's surgery, I sat in our little garden praying and witnessing the simple and profound blessings of creation every single morning, an embodiment of God's love for us. Our God recreates the miracle of creation every morning for us. Even the most agnostic scientists will admit that Earth is a Goldilocks planet, a miracle like we would say, is a miracle or a virtual impossibility of existence. Yet here we are every morning. On the days I think I, I can control my life by overthinking, planning, worrying, or I'm anxious or scared or angry because I forgot just how powerful God is and how he will transform my life every day that I surrender to him. On those days I go back in my mind or physically to our little garden and I remember that God is there. And on every morning, as on the first morning, he shows us his supreme and unequaled power and love because he separates the light from the darkness and he looks down on his creation and it is good. Amen. 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 Amen.